it's our special privilege to bring you some special guests. Pastors return this week from their snow trip, so we're excited. Continue to pray for them as they return. Safe travels. Hopefully there's not another snowstorm that keeps them up there another week because they've been getting a lot of snow, from what I understand, so that's a great thing. I'm sure we're going to have lots of wonderful stories when Pastor does get back about how God helped him find his kids, his keys, his car. God knows what he lost in the snow up there, but uh, we're going to hear lots of great stories. I'm sure he'll figure a way to use them. But in his absence... I hope that you were truly blessed by Brother Brady last week. I know I was. I'll stand up and shout it from the rooftop um, just to see how um, just the growth. You know, if you've been here for a little while, you've seen him preach a couple times when pastors are out. And you can just see what God's doing in his life and how it's just getting better and better and better. And it's no drop off today as I'm going to bring up my brother Jamie to come up and give a little word to you. Why don't you welcome him? We're just so blessed. That uh, uh, God is using them in this way. Um, you know Jamie's testimony, where he came from and where he's going to. And we're just along for the ride. And we're just so glad to be along for the ride, Jamie. Enjoy the day. Thank you. Love you, brother. Let's get started. Today we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. It goes hand in hand with what our discipleship groups have been studying. We've been reading Truly Free by Pastor Robert Morris, and it's been tremendous. So let me be the second to encourage any of you here today who are interested in joining us. Brother Chris mentioned earlier the days and times that we'll be meeting for the men and the women. So please, please make discipleship a priority. It's not too late. Can we pray? Father God, in the precious name of Jesus, we come to you this morning. Holy Spirit welcoming you into your house. Have your will. Use me in any way that you see fit. I pray that your words become my words. I pray for eyes to see, ears to hear, and a softened heart, Father, for all of those who need to feel your sweet and tender touch. All these things we ask in your son's name. Amen. I feel like today's topic is one that the Holy Spirit's been ministering to me on for quite some time. So when Pastor Chris approached me about speaking today, I began to pray and ask the Holy Spirit what it is he wants me to give to his people. I feel like when I'm talking to the Lord, he responds to me sarcastically. Not with mean sarcasm like I would, but more of that undertone as if he's saying, really, son, you don't already know. So as I'm praying about today's message, he asked me in this really sarcastic tone. Son, what have we been talking about these last several months? Do you think that's a coincidence? Has anything that you've read in scripture at any point in time, left you under the impression that I operate by accident. 
Then he said to me, son, remember, look at your neighbor to your right and say, remember. Now, if you have one, look to your left and say, remember. Now everyone's covered. Remember, that's going to be a subtle theme throughout today's message, along with others. So buckle up. As parents, it's our job to prepare our children for what it takes to handle what life is going to throw at them. What the keys to success are, how to handle failure and adversity from babies to teenagers as they develop. We want to provide them with the tools they need to make it in the world, specific tools for specific situations. And we would show them how to use those tools, tools like perseverance, toughness, kindness, selflessness, and of course, the big P word, patience. The keys to all those life lessons is remembrance. I can remember teaching my son about how particular small steps would help build his confidence. My son loves music. He plays multiple instruments. And when he was younger, he would say, Dad, I love this song. I wish I could play like that, but I can't. And my wife and I would talk to him about how the terms I can't shouldn't be a part of his vocabulary. And how just understanding that those not-so-mere words can either build up or tear down. They can either construct or destroy. And by remembering, practicing, applying what he's learned has helped build his confidence. It's just those small steps. Our choice in words can begin to set us on a path, if you will. Patience. It's ironic how we have to implement patience in order to teach patience, especially to our kids. I can remember I must have been maybe six or seven, and I can see it as if it was five minutes ago. I was shopping with my mom. And we're at the store, and we happen to go down the, by the toy section. And there it was. The green machine. Now, you young kids now have no idea what that is. See, this was back in a day and time where you had to go outside and play. And there it was. You would have thought I was hypnotized. My eyes grew about 10 inches. I got so excited. It's the green machine. So, mom, I got to have it. Mom, please. It's the green machine. So she says to me, son, maybe for Christmas. It's June. 
July, Christmas, Christmas. I'm six or seven years old, so that's like millions of years away. Not only that, she didn't even give me a definitive yes or no. She said, maybe. So in my own way, I began to beg. Oh, Mr. Green Machine. In my head, I'm already envisioning myself on this. I've seen the commercials. I am terrorizing the community in that. So she says to me, son, be patient. I start getting an attitude. Now, I didn't throw a tantrum. I was wiser than that. But my arms are dragging. My lips poked out. And I wouldn't really help her the rest of the visit at the store to get the rest of the items that we needed. So my mother says, son, get it together. Fix your face before I hurt you. (laughs) Now, if you know my mom, she said it in a far more colorful fashion. My mom, her communication style with regards to discipline, she has two modes, bark, then bite. So her warning, that was the bark. So we continued through the store on the way home. Even as we are unpacking the items at the house that we just bought, I'm acting like I just don't want to do it. So she's had enough. She says, boy, go to your room. And I'm like, so I go to the room. She gets the belt. Here comes the bite. So as she's proceeding to spank me, my mother has a tendency to talk to us when she spanks us and ask questions. Didn't I tell you to be patient? Oh, patience. Capital P. I got it, mom. Patience. Oh, patience. Yes. Yes, patience. So... Fast forward about maybe three weeks. We're back at the store. And I see a transformer that I want. It's Megatron. Oh my gosh, mom, I gotta have it. So I muster up the courage, mom. What do you think? She says, wait. Everything inside of me wants to throw an attitude. Everything. I could feel my lip quivering, wanting to poke out. The weight of my arms are getting heavy again. I'm like, oh. But I remembered. If I take that route, there's way too much drama there. Remember. Remember those life lessons. Today, we're going to take a scriptural, biblical approach to spiritual warfare. Because often we don't. We sometimes pick and choose what part of scriptures we want to use versus following the actual instructions the Lord has given us. Which I strongly believe is a trap by the enemy. And we'll address that here in a few minutes. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 6. And we're going to Sort of unpack that, if you will. That's going to be our focal passage. We're going to break down how the Lord has given us a successful strategy 
toward addressing spiritual warfare. There are seven points I'd like to touch on. Some will be really quick, while others will spend a little more time unpacking. Let's look at Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the word of the spirit which is the word of God. I'm sorry, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. The Apostle Paul wants to emphasize that people are not our ultimate problem. They are a problem, but not our ultimate problem. Humanity's true struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. What we call spiritual warfare is the conflict in the spiritual realm that affects the physical realm. The daily problems we face are rooted there. But importantly, the resources we need to fight the battle are theirs too. It's there too, I'm sorry. Paul told the Ephesians that through Christ, God has given them every blessing they need in the spiritual realm. You see, we have to fight the spiritual with the spiritual. Our human strength won't work. I'll say that again. Brady heard me. We have to fight the spiritual with the spiritual. Our physical strength will not work. Our only hope is to be strengthened by the Lord and put on the full armor of God. Did you notice Paul says over and over, stand. In other words, stay in the area where victory has been achieved, already achieved under the cover of God's armor. When you stand under an umbrella, It doesn't stop the rain, but it does stop you from getting wet. Whereas the devil, the enemy, wants us to stand under an umbrella of lies, not allowing God's truth to reign over our lives. Point number one, the belt of truth. For the soldier, this was the first part that was put on. Every other part of the armor was attached to this. God's word is our source of the truth. 
And it's the belt we must put on first before we incorporate the rest. See, the enemy's plan is to deceive through false teaching. Attempts to pervert God's word, all geared toward conditioning how we think. He wants us to think that what God says is evil and the things the world offers is okay. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all of scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. Remember, God's word is the source of truth. So the first portion of that piece of scripture states clearly that the word of God, the Bible is God inspired. Other translations read God bread. So can we all today here agree that everything in this is true? Every single thing in this is true. Are you sure about that? I don't know. Because if you're like me, sometimes you read something that you don't like. And it stirs feelings up, emotions. And you think, mm, I don't like that part, so I'm going to skip over that. But this I like. This I like. So, everything in here is true, correct? Okay. Remember that as we move forward, okay? Because this is the place where the enemy attacks. If the truth is wavering, if it changes from one day to the next, or fluctuates like our feelings do, we got a problem. And if the enemy can get you on shaky ground like that, then half the battle is already his. So that's why the belt of truth has to be paramount because everything else flows from it. We have to know the truth and stand on it. Now, let's look at what scripture says about the enemy. Jesus says in the gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 44, and a little context here. What's happening is, Jesus is talking to some Jewish people who are questioning the validity and legitimacy of his birth. And they're saying that they are sons of Abraham and even saying they're sons of God and questioning Jesus. So he uses some pretty harsh language to illustrate his point. And he says to them, for you are children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Knowing Jesus means knowing the truth. 
Jesus even says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he refers to himself as the truth. We can actually have a relationship with the truth. So when I say knowing Jesus is knowing the truth, I don't mean just knowing of who he is. I'm speaking more in terms of an intimate, authentic, genuine relationship with Jesus. Knowing Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness, a mindset and heart that is God fearing and God honoring, followed by righteous living by God's standards. And in case you're wondering, Jesus is that standard. He is the example we should follow. It's not Pastor Chris, Brother Brady. Even myself, if you're following me, you're going to be disappointed in a major way. I'm human just like you. I have many, many, many flaws. And my wife will tell you, many flaws. I am not the standard. But what the enemy does is he wants us to compare ourselves to each other. Compare yourself to Jesus. Let's move on. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin separates us from God. Now, sure, you're thinking, Jamie, you just said everything in here is true. And you just read that nothing can separate us from God's love. But did you catch what I said? Sin separates us from God, not him from us, us from him. What I mean by that is we're going to jump back into our emotions Emotions like guilt and shame can pull us further and further from God. Where scripture tells us he is the same yesterday, today, and will be forever, which means he doesn't move. He's always always the same. But when we commit sin, And those emotions come into play. We think, oh, I did this yesterday, so I probably should go to church tomorrow. Or I feel so guilty that I'm not going to pray tonight. Do you see how those emotions can pull us from God? He hasn't moved. His arms are wide open. And we don't realize that he's the one that can cleanse us and wash us of those sins. But instead, we back away.
And that's when it comes into play that it's his word versus our feelings. Number three, the shoes of peace. Peace with God. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Jesus paid the price in full. And by accepting him as our Lord and Savior puts us at peace with God. That's the truth. The wrath that God had for us, Jesus absorbed. One of the ways the enemy tries to trick us, though, is to make us think that it's on our own accord. That when we make mistakes, we can make up for it ourselves. No, absolutely not. Jesus paid the price. It's all about Jesus. Peace with others. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Work at living in peace with everyone. Everyone. And work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Everything in this is true, right? And God's word says, peace with who? Everyone. Now, if you're like me, that can be challenging. But if we hold this to be true, we are to make every effort to live this out. Even with those who get on our nerves. They're a part of the everyone. Peace of God. Philippians 4, verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your, your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Amen. Number four, the shield of faith. Fear is the root of insecurity, anxiety, depression, and so many others. We have to claim the promises of God. Faith in this context is synonymous with truth. I'm sorry, synonymous with trust. Trusting that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Fear is a powerful emotion. It can warp our perception. It can make us see things that aren't there. And the enemy uses that against us. He wants to enslave us. But the only power he has is the power that we give him. Remember, scripture says he is what? The father of lies. He wants to imprison us to things like bitterness, unforgiveness. My brother Brady did a phenomenal job preaching on forgiveness last week. The perspective of unforgiveness can be a prison. But understand this. The truth is that the enemy cannot at any point in time, 
lock those prison doors. Because of the completed, perfect work of Jesus Christ on the cross. See, scripture says all authority on heaven and on earth was given to one person. And that ain't the devil. So he can't lock those doors. He wants us to think that he can. Because think, oh, I have to be unforgiving. I have to be that way. I have to be bitter and angry. That's what he wants to do and enslave us in that emotional state. And what that does is it warps our perception of reality. Amen? Are you guys still with me? So when the devil tries to lie to us and tell us how we should feel and how we should respond to our feelings, we have to claim the promises of God and remember God is for me and not against me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. His word says that I am the head and not the tail. Jesus says, take heart for I have conquered the world. Act like what God says is true. Faith has to be grown. We live in a culture that is accustomed to instant gratification. How many of us know that God does not work like that? Scripture says we have not because we ask not. So we can humbly request increased faith. As a matter of fact, it's encouraged. Scripture says he will not rebuke us for asking. But it's not as though he just zaps us and all of a sudden we have immeasurable faith like Shazam. And now it's on. It doesn't usually work like that. What happens is he allows situations in our lives where we have the opportunity to choose to trust him. And we do. Taking that one step further with our shield in our hand. And then another situation arises where that opportunity presents itself again. And we do it again and trust him more. And with each step, we trust him more. Increased faith, increased confidence. But not in ourselves. For the one who is responsible for that increase. And then we remember it was Jesus carrying us the entire time. Number five, the helmet of salvation. This is another area where the enemy tries to attack our minds. He wants us to think that God is always angry with us. That he's disappointed in us because of what we've done. That we aren't children of God. If we have the proper theology of what the Bible says on why we need to be saved, how we get saved, and who was responsible for our salvation, it will protect our minds from turning into a whirlwind of doubt and confusion, which can lead us to a stagnant place, rendering us useless 
for the purpose God has intended for our lives. Why we need to be saved. Romans 3.23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everyone. What's the penalty for sin? Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. How do we get saved and who is responsible for our salvation? Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Pretty clear. John three sixteen, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Number six, sword of the spirit. By studying the Bible, we are making deposits of God's thoughts and putting them in our spirit versus the world's. I'm going to place emphasis on the term studying the Bible, not just reading it. Where are my rush students at? Mm-hmm. Studying. Ivy, look up. Talking to you too. Studying the Bible. Remember, we are making deposits of God's thoughts and putting them in our spirit. And let's see how this works. So turn with me. Let's look at the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus says, but when the Father sends the advocate, As my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Have you noticed throughout the message? I've been repeatedly saying scripture says. Scripture says. By making a practice of studying the Bible, not only cultivates a deeper, richer, more authentic relationship with Christ, but it will also expose the truth. So when the world says bitter and unforgiving is how we are supposed to be, the Holy Spirit, when studying the word, will bring to our remembrance what God has to say on that matter, his thoughts. The six pieces of armor we've talked about have specific jobs to do, and they do it well when applied. You might think that's enough to go into battle, but there's one more component that our armor is lacking, and that is a necessity. Number seven, prayer in the spirit. 
We've outfitted ourselves with the appropriate gear necessary for spiritual battle. But our gear will not get us very far if we're not continually praying for God's strength to carry us in, during, and through the battle. All of our efforts are in vain if we do them on our own strength. We need to pray throughout the battle. And in doing so, we are deepening our relationship with God and our need for God. That's what we do to grasp the power, the strength God stands ready to give. An attitude of surrender must accompany our prayers. We all know well and typically repeat the second portion of this piece of scripture. Resist the devil and he will flee. Y'all don't know that piece of scripture? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, we tend to skip over the first portion of that piece of scripture. James 4, 7 says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It beautifully tells us what we must do first. Submit to God. Submitting to God means fully abandoning our lives to him. With our spiritual armor fully in place and prayer in our hearts, we're yielding to the one who has the ultimate authority. We're given the strength to resist the devil. And when we surrender our lives, our entire lives to God, so many doors open. Yet what we try to do typically is resist the devil or rebuke him first when we have yet to really submit to God. Resisting the devil is hard enough if we haven't submitted our will, our ways, and our wants yielded to what God's called us to do. As in following the instructions that he's given us. Submitting to God is not only the first step, but our submission to God is actually us resisting Satan at the same time. Remember whose battle it is. We just sang about that. Remember whose battle it is. David says in Psalms 23, and I love the New King James Version. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does that not sound like David has on God's armor? We've talked about how to use the weapons God's given us. But every warrior knows you're not ready for battle until you're actually in your armor. In Ephesians, Paul encourages us to put on the full armor of God, 
not just when we're feeling weak, but every day before our heat, before our feet hit the floor in the mornings, we should armor up through prayer. Putting on each piece of armor is an act of worship that's grounded in humility. So each item is an actual act of worship. The victory is his and through Jesus and only through Jesus are we promised to share in that victory. Remember how our focal passage begins in Ephesians 6 verse 10. It says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. It doesn't simply say be strong. It references the ultimate source of true strength and power, the Lord. So remember, the belt of truth reminds us who we are in Christ. The breastplate of righteousness protects our hearts as we strive to make God-honoring decisions. The shoes of peace gives us restful tranquility everywhere we go. The shield of faith helps us to trust in God no matter our circumstances. The helmet of salvation keeps, it keeps out Satan and the distractions that he brings and gives us a peace of mind and a sound mind. And by studying the Bible, our sword of the spirit helps us speak truth and life over every situation. Each piece of armor is crucial in protecting us from harm, but we still need another thing to be fully ready for the fight. Warriors don't charge into battle alone because they recognize they are stronger together. We weren't meant to engage in spiritual warfare without a community of believers around us. When we let our guard down and truly let others get to know us, it forges a special bond. I was a poster child of the opposite of this. For decades, I took pride in being a loner. I purposefully, intentionally would do all that I could to stand alone. And one of the things that I love about the Holy Spirit is the fact that he didn't give up on me. He continued to pursue me. If I had to articulate in a word my testimony, it'd be pursuit. The Holy Spirit's hand on me all the time, even when I was rebellious, even when I thought I knew everything, which is one of the major reasons why I chose to stand alone. I thought I knew everything. I didn't want anyone else's help. I didn't want their advice or their suggestions. I stood in my own pride and arrogance. But the Holy Spirit still pursued me. Brady, Cash, Stacy, Kaysen, 
Paula, Manny, all these individuals that God has placed in my life to walk with me. When I didn't have the strength, they pray for me. When I was lost, caught up in my own emotions, they would let me stay home depressed or wallow in my self-pity. Don't isolate yourselves. You are meant to be a part of a family. The body of Christ. Amen? We are designed to lock arms and fight together. Make every effort to build community and watch out for each other. Because the battle is real. Scripture says the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. As we close, let scripture give you a vivid depiction of our Savior King. Not the popular picture that you might see in many houses and even churches. The one where his skin is porcelain, as if he's European, as if he was never a Jew a day in his life. That picture where his hair is flowing, as if he just left a salon. (laughs) Where his hands are clean, uncalloused, as if he never worked a day in his father's carpentry shop. Not that picture. Close your eyes. Please, everyone. Picture this. Revelation 19, beginning at verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who was riding it was called faithful and true, trustworthy, loyal, incorruptible, steady. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war on the rebellious nations. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many royal crowns. And he has a name inscribed on him which no one knows or understands except him. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And all the armies of heaven, dressed in fine linen, dazzling white and clean, Followed him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, his word with which he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, and judgment of the rebellious worlds. And on his robe and on his thigh, has a name inscribed King of Kings and Lord of Lords that's who has won the battle that's the one who has given us the clear instructions on how to address spiritual warfare picture it As we prepare our hearts for communion,
I mentioned earlier, one of the subtle themes of today's message is remember. Remember the perfect sacrifice that Jesus made to create that bridge that can never be destroyed for us to get back to God. His body was broken. Remember the blood that was shed to seal the covenant between us and God. Remember. Let's pray. Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we come to you now as humbly as we know how. Praying, Lord, that your words will effectively reach our ears and our hearts, Father, and be applied to our lives. We thank you, Father, because we know that your instructions reign true in our hearts. Help us, Father, to place you first and above all else, as your word has called us to do. Help us to truly submit to you, Father, every aspect of our lives. You are our strength. Let us rely on nothing else. Help us to cleave to each other as well, Father, following the example that Jesus has set. We thank you for your word, Father. We thank you for this time together. Bless us and keep us. All these things we ask in your son's holy and mighty name. Amen. Thank you, Second Service. Have a great Sunday.